Welcome to the Growth Podcast, growing together through curious conversations. So today I'm looking forward to getting curious with Sarah LeBrock. In 2013, Sarah took part in Sky's TV programme, Fat, the Fight of My Life, a programme aimed at helping people lose weight, and she lost over eight stone. There is a myth that overweight people are unmotivated and lazy, a myth that Sarah blows out of the water with her incredible accomplishments. She completed an Olympic-length triathlon and has competed in a 10K race. Sarah campaigns to raise awareness about the truth of obesity, to bust some of those myths around it, and to help people know that obesity is a disease. She is regularly featured in the media. Sarah is an ambassador and director of Obesity UK, a charity which was established to be the voice of people living with obesity and to break down the stigma attached to obesity. So they also work to affect change at a strategic level in the UK. So Sarah, it's an absolute pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you very much for having me. I'm pleased to be on this, so thank you. It's a very strange time during lockdown. Um, but hopefully these well-being podcasts are helping people to focus on uh, what they need to right now. I think it also is a, a time for people to do things that they don't normally have time for. Like, I definitely think that people are just, you know, all the things that people are doing around the house and things like that, that it's just giving people time where you've had things on your list of things to do for a while, like even like listening to podcasts, even that you can just actually take that time and go, okay, now I can do a, do a bit of that. So yeah, I think it's probably a really good time to be doing it. That's a really good point out to the air, being able to give us time to do things that we wouldn't normally. So it'd be really great, Sarah, to just start by uh, getting to know you a little bit more. So why don't you tell us about yourself? Yeah, so my name's Sarah LeBrock. I am 37 years old. Um, I have recently become a mum. So I have a one-year-old daughter called Emily. Um, so she's definitely keeping me busy during lockdown. Um, but um, yeah, so that's been a new experience for me, which I'm absolutely loving. Um, I, For my day job, I work in the pharmaceutical industry and have done for about 15 years now. My background science. Um, I did chemistry at university, so I've kind of got a bit of a science background. Um, and then as a kind of as a hobby or as a passion is where the kind of obesity side of things um, keeps me busy. So as a result of my own journey over the years, I've kind of got to a point now where I understand obesity in a way that I never did before. And it's kind of made me passionate to kind of change the narrative around obesity in the UK because people think that it's all about eating less and moving more and that's all that we need to do and if people don't do that it's because they don't have willpower or they're lazy and some of the things you've already alluded to um, and I now know through lots of research and kind of looking into things that that's not the case it's it's an extremely complex condition I personally think it is and should be recognized as a disease not everyone does um, but there are lots of parameters that tick the disease box um, and so I'm just really passionate about trying to change that messaging and change that narrative in the UK and that's kind of why I, I do the role that I do within Obesity UK. That sounds really interesting and I was watching something just um, the other night around um, obesity and some of the research behind it uh, and they were talking about sort of genetics and the different elements that people struggle with in relation to being obese and it really is not just as simple as 
the media make out and some of the language, as you say, we use around obesity in terms of just move more and eat less. It's not that simple. Can you tell us some more about that science? Yeah, absolutely. So um, some of the kind of, I went through a phase of kind of losing weight, putting it back on again, losing weight, putting it back on again. And then when I did the show and I lost eight stone, I kind of thought that that was like the answer and I, this was going to change my life forever. And, you know, I've cracked it kind of thing. And even though I continued the same level of exercise that I was doing on the TV show and still eating really healthily, my weight started creeping back on. And it was at that point that I started kind of thinking, what is going on here? It can't just be that I'm eating too much and not exercising enough because I'm not. I'm, I'm still being so active and so kind of really mindful about what I'm eating. And so that's when I started exploring things a bit more. And um, yeah, so genetics plays a part up to, it can be up to 70% of why someone lives with obesity can be down to genetics. So I've been fortunate enough that I've had um, a genetic screening done on myself and I actually do possess the FTO gene. So the FTO gene is a gene that if you've got it, you're 50% more likely to live with obesity than not so if you have that gene you're kind of you know the odds are stacked against you and then there's another gene as well called the mcr gene it's mcr4 gene and i also have that and that means that i have a propensity for fatty foods so my body or genetic makeup makes me favor fattier foods over non-fattier foods so again genetically that's stacking up against me as well and it kind of makes sense so you know the things that I do enjoy and the foods that I do kind of you know when you're craving and even when I was doing the the, the weight loss tv show the things I were craving was things like a pizza you know I've always really liked things and, and it kind of makes sense now why those are my things that I crave because my body genetically is is kind of programmed that way and it's not to say that you're programmed that way so oh, you know it's an excuse so you just kind of then use that you know you can kind of counter some of that by doing exercise but you are just more likely and more kind of destined to go back to being a bigger size because that's the way your body is functioning there's lots of things around hormones as well so there's gut hormones that have a part to play so there's leptin and ghrelin so they tell you kind of when you're feeling full um and uh, yeah so this is satiety hormones and um those aren't functioning properly in someone living with obesity either so you know there are now there are drugs that are being created looking at the kind of gut hormones so that it makes you feel fuller quicker and not as hungry and these things are, are showing really great kind of success and for me it's kind of like my hope is that one day there will be more treatment for people living with obesity because at the moment the only thing out there really is bariatric surgery and I don't believe that is the right thing for everybody I absolutely think it is for some people but it's not for everybody and I think we need to have more options available to people living with obesity so that we can treat the condition as it is rather than it being a lifestyle choice because it's absolutely not yeah that and that that was the um the piece that we were watching um on tv was um I think it must have been the MCR4 gene uh, yeah. and it was really interesting to look at how certain people's body are craving different kinds of food and it really does make sense doesn't it because I guess even through different um you know seasons we can crave different kinds of food um, and that is very from a genetic perspective to to help us to kind of uh, you know bulk up in the winter when we would have needed to and maybe slim down more in the summer so we all kind of I guess to a certain extent have have that or people would understand that but it was really interesting to see that 
um, that study and, and how, you know, people can be craving these different kinds of food, which really does throw, you know, everything up in the air in relation to this traditional idea that many people have of, you know, you just need to move more and eat less. Absolutely. And we also have that person that we know that can eat anything that they want and they don't put weight back on or they don't put weight on full stop. And they've now shown that there's a study that's now been released about, it was last year sometime, that shows that there is actually a skinny gene. So some people actually genetically are made up to the way that actually no matter what they eat, they will remain a lower weight. So, you know, it kind of works both ways now. Um, So it's not a case of, I think sometimes there's this real kind of... um, thing where people look down on people living with obesity because they kind of think oh you know they just don't look after themselves and if you just put a bit more effort in and I think actually genetics and the science is showing us that it's absolutely got nothing to do with that you know I look after myself just as much as anybody else does but I'm actually I've got a larger body than other people but that doesn't mean that I don't look care about myself or I haven't got that kind of same level of standard of someone else and I think that's where society's kind of messaging needs to change because there's too much of that negative kind of stigma going on around obesity. And um, yeah, it's something I really hope one day will change. And I'm really passionate about trying to be a part of that, really. What about things like, um, you know, the idea that they would put tax on certain kinds of food to stop people um, from being obese or wanting to eat those kinds of foods? What, what are your thoughts around that? It gets me a little bit frustrated because I think it just comes back to this whole simplistic messaging. So it's all about food or it's about exercise. And I think the more we kind of focus on the food industry and it's all their fault and, you know, yes, it is to some extent, like there is something called the obesogenic environment and this is the environment that we live in. So food is so accessible now, like literally we can get it at the click of a button and it arrives at our house and then we can eat whatever we want. You know, that didn't happen like 30 years ago. So we do live in this environment that now kind of just makes eating and eating whatever we want so much more accessible. So that does play a part in the kind of obesity situation. Yeah. And, and again, you know, it, it, it's really interesting when, when you just walk down the high street, you know, if you walk through Leeds town centre or York town centre, the amount of food that's available, um, mm-hmm. you know, and very cheaply quite often as well, you know, kind of drawing us in and pulling us in the accessibility to food, as you say, is, is enormous right now. You know, it, it's everywhere, isn't it? It's easy for us to be able to go in and even in some, um, you know clothes shops you get to the to the counter to queue up to pay for you know for, for clothing and and there's food and snacks yeah, yeah so accessible yeah exactly and this is where kind of you know the government can make some changes with regards to kind of stopping things like that because they're quite simple things that you can can do something about um and i know that that's something they, that they are looking at completely um, but, but something I've always thought, which has always amazed me, is that, you know, we have McDonald's and we have these drive throughs I mean, for people that are, live on the road a lot, so I do with my job, I'm always driving somewhere. And if I, you know, I'm always on the go. So the only time I would go to somewhere like McDonald's, it's not because I like the food, but because it's easy and you can grab it and you can do it on the go. And I don't understand why there aren't more healthier options like that, as in... You could so easily, I've always thought, have like an omelette filled with something. And I just don't know why, why companies don't provide these healthier kind of options. And, and because I think people would 
use them. You know, I don't think it's something that wouldn't get used, but it's just odd that it's always high fat foods that are so readily available. Um, so I do think there needs to be some sort of change there because that would be very helpful. Yeah, some nice healthy options at the service stations. Yeah. Uh, as a person that travels a lot myself, I, I really do get that, that often the only options are the unhealthy ones. Um, yeah. and, and when you know you've been on the road all day you've been working hard and you're starving it's going to be the go-to thing isn't it yeah absolutely so yeah. in relation to um well-being Sarah what does that mean to you so well-being for me I think has changed over over the kind of over my life I think it's always I always focused on my weight you know it was always for me well-being was always being a, a healthier weight um but I think now where I'm, when I'm in the place that I'm at for me well-being is more about how I feel. So for me, I think the kind of mental and the psychological aspect is probably the most important thing for me now. And it's about kind of making sure that I f I'm okay. And, and that's why I'm kind of struggling a little bit with lockdown because I'm very much an extrovert. I get my energy from other people, from my friends. And the fact that I can't spend time with them and see them at the moment, you know, is, is kind of having a bit of an impact. So that's kind of how I make sure my well-being is good is by kind of surrounding myself by my friends and my family and and good people that I can talk to and open up and share kind of my feelings with I'm very much a if I've got a problem I need to talk about it I'm not someone that kind of goes within myself and can't talk about it so I do struggle when I can't just go and see my friend for a cup of tea or um kind of that kind of aspect of it so yeah well-being definitely for me is is kind of the how I feel aspect more of more than the you know what I'm eating or what exercise I'm doing it's more about the kind of mental side of things and one of the pillars of well-being is relationships and it's often I think underestimated when we think about well-being the importance of having positive relationships having those connections to people can actually make us feel really good we're very social creatures aren't we all of us um, like you say some people are introverts and some people are extroverts I like to think of those as cats and dogs yeah. <laughs> extroverts are, are like a, a dog you know they, they love to go and be surrounded by people and introverts tend to be a bit more like cats they're quite happy to be on their own more often um yeah it doesn't mean they don't like the social connection but they're quite happy uh, you know to kind of be alone as well so what other kind of elements do you do what other things do you do to try and boost your uh, mental well-being I, I do a lot of um definitely kind of when I was struggling to get pregnant with Emily one of the things I started looking really into was kind of manifesting and and doing the whole law of attraction kind of side of things so I'm kind of a big believer in you know you kind of if you whatever you put out there you kind of get back and I did a lot of it with Emily and I, I really wanted a girl as well I was really kind of because I, I only really wanted to have one child and I really wanted to have a girl so during kind of that time of trying, I was manifesting all the time, journaling, kind of getting up every morning and writing, you know, what my perfect day would look like and kind of what, what, what my perfect kind of life would be. And I just focused on that for such a long time. And then Emily came along. So I, and I do believe that it was as a result of some of that work that I did. So I definitely kind of try and it's not always easy because when you're caught up in the emotion especially with the whole coronavirus as well you know I have felt myself being a lot more anxious than normal um but trying to kind of focus on the what you can do and how you think I think is really try important to try and remember because 
I think if we if we dwell on everything in a negative way, we will create negative things. So I try to be positive and try to look for the positives in most things where I can. So that's kind of how I try and get through things. Yeah, and there's some uh, lots of really interesting research around uh, manifesting um, and using the power of positive thought to help with our well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, even down to things like um, you know, if we're even looking at medicine, things like nocebo and placebo effects. You know, placebo effects are when we give people um, like sugar pills and we tell them they're going to do something really positive, and then the nocebo effect is the opposite of that, where we might give them the same sugar pill but tell them something negative will happen. And the power of, of providing those two different interventions is just crazy. I was reading um, some research the other day and they were saying that they'd um, given, uh, it, was, it was kind of a, a nettle, like a, a, a stinging plant. And they told people it was a stinging plant and they put it on their arms, telling them that that's exactly what it is. And they even had hives and, and rashes, physical appearances on their skin. And it, and it wasn't a stinging nettle at all it was actually completely harmless but just because they'd been told that that's what it was they'd actually created physical reactions that you could see and it's just incredible the power of our mind in relation to this kind of manifesting idea of what you put out into the world the positive thoughts that you have in your mind you can really bring those into reality yeah, absolutely. And I really, really do kind of believe in that side of things. So I try to do that as much as I can, really. And as you say, right now in lockdown, I think the power of doing that and, and, and looking for the positives, the light, the silver lining, whatever you want to call it, is really important for us to be reframing into that positive space right now. And so you said that your daughter's um, a year old. Has your well-being changed since you've had her? Um. I think it's probably improved a bit because I think when you when you have a child and people always say this and I think people that don't have children always think oh yeah whatever kind of thing but it's true it's kind of when you have a child it does just change everything they become the most important thing in your world and I think you know I look at some of my behaviors that perhaps in the past I would accept I now look and think well, I don't want Emily to ever look at that and see that as a be- as an acceptable behaviour. So it's making me kind of potentially change, you know, some of the things that I do. And so, yeah, I do think it's probably made positive steps, you know. Um, and like, for instance, just during lockdown, for instance, I think as much as I try to kind of um, keep active, I think it's because we're allowed to do it once a day and it's the only thing you're allowed to do it's making me do it more than I would have normally done. And I think for me, that's a really positive step because it's great. Emily and I get out in the fresh air and it's kind of, you know, getting us out there. And so it's just, it's interesting how just different situations can change how you then behave or your kind of well-being changes. So it's, um, yeah, it's definitely been um, an interesting time. And it's, I've been really surprised by how many more people in the village that I live that I'm seeing out running, that I'm seeing out walking and bikes, the sales of bikes have gone through the roof. Uh, Peloton bikes have, have shot up, haven't they? I think they're a company that are probably doing really well out of this yeah. lockdown. And yeah, it's I really right, I think, <laughs> yeah, brilliant bikes, incredibly expensive. <laughs> I just think that having that permission, as you say, from from the government in in this lockdown of, you know, go out and and have that, you know, one hour of exercise with your family, Mm -hmm. people, it feels like they've really taken that very literally. 
and yeah. they are now going out and and doing more exercise and actually in terms of helping our well-being of course that's brilliant um, we just have to hope that people continue to do that when exactly lockdown's that. lifted it'll be interesting okay. whether that habit stays or whether people will drop off yeah no I, I agree it will be really interesting to see um so yeah we'll have to watch this space so having had your daughter um you were talking there about um how you maybe changed some of your behaviors um i know i've got a 10 year old and sometimes he says things and it's just a direct reflection of what i might have said <laughs> you see yourself reflected in your children it really does make you start to think about your behavior um mm-hmm. in terms of kind of raising a daughter um have you been thinking about anything regarding well-being for her yeah, I think because um, my focus for most of my life has been around my weight, because my mum kind of always worried about her own weight. So, you know, she out of love kind of always kind of made me worry about mine because she was always, I think in her head, she didn't want me to kind of struggle like she did. So therefore she wanted to kind of always be like, well, maybe should you really be eating this? And, and I know that all of it was out of love and none of it was ever, you know, malicious. But what she did was then create this whole obsession then around going on diets, yo-yo dieting and all those kind of things. So I'm just very mindful with Emily that I just I just want her to be OK with who she is. And I don't want her to ever have to spend her life worrying about her body shape or I just want her to be healthy and I want her to kind of be active and 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 then whatever she is she is like i just i i will never encourage her to go on a diet um or anything like that i've just been very mindful whilst i can kind of control what she's eating i suppose so i breastfed her to about 10 months then obviously we start weaning and all those kind of things and i'm trying my hardest to wait as long as i possibly can to introduce sugar into her diet because i think you know it i mean gosh i love chocolate um and loads of people do <laughs> to do and it's kind of a, <laughs> at the moment it's very much a do as I say but not as I do behavior with Emily um but I just think that you know while she's young and she's not asking for it the longer I can keep it out of her diet the better so she gets it through through um fruit but I've not in- introduced any form of sugar with regards to any other foods really and I just want to see how long I can do that because I just think that'll benefit her because it, you know when they talk about your cells kind of having a, a behavior to certain foods and things like that so I think the longer that she kind of yeah can can have healthy good nutrition in her the better really so that's one of the things I'm trying to do but I don't want it to become one of those things where she then craves it and wants it forever when she gets older it's absolutely she'll be allowed to have sugar whenever she wants but I just kind of think whilst it's not an issue Mm -hmm. I'll try and kind of keep it out as long as I can yeah and it's really important, isn't it, that we we help to role model for our children because, yeah. you know, as you said, regarding behavior, they, they do copy behavior. That's Absolutely. how obviously they learn and grow. Um, what do you think about in terms of kind of, um, you know, role models around social media for young people? I've got a 17 year old um, daughter, 10 year old son, um, and the role modeling within social media is a real concern for me. What about you for in terms of well-being? Yeah, I absolutely. I think, you know, Emily's going to grow up in a generation where Instagram and all these things are such the norm and and, and obviously social media and, and just even technology. So again, that's something I'm trying really hard. Lockdown's been interesting because 
all the baby groups that we used to go to are doing online things now, which in, in kind of principle is like, oh, that's great. But actually, I don't want to encourage Emily to think that a computer is her, is her kind of entertainment or a phone or, and her to get used to screen time so much because I think it, that's a really bad habit and she, she didn't have it before. So to suddenly then plonk her in front of a computer to do a group through the computer, I, it just doesn't sit right with me so we tried one and I just thought I just no I just don't like this so I'm trying to kind of steer away from things like that and just do more kind of interactive stuff with her one-to-one -one because yeah I just think the longer that we can keep again you know people away from technology the better because it becomes an obsession I'm bad I check my phone constantly I'm on Instagram I'm on Facebook I'm on all these things and I just it's just not good for a, I think when people are developing you know children and things I think it's what's you know I, I want to see her reading a book like we used to do and outside playing and kind of all those kind of things and I don't know if I'm kind of living in a in a fantasy land <laughs> but I I guess I'm, I'll try my best to instill these things we'll see and it's a great starting point I think you're absolutely right all of those things are super important you were talking about you know the mental and psychological element of well-being being really important for you and you're absolutely right with those things. You know, I wonder how much time we all lose in a very unproductive way to social media these days. It, it can be a very toxic rabbit hole for us all to get down. Um, and particularly when we're in this lockdown where, you know, we, we might find ourselves a little bit bored. We can very easily, can't we spend, you know, a good hour uh, kind of in the flow of Instagram uh, and coming out of that not feeling really that good about ourselves. I think we have to be very mindful of that. Um, I'd love to just find out just a little bit more, Sarah, before we kind of wrap up around the program, Fat the Fight for my, of My Life. What was it like being uh, in part of a program like that? It was really like, I, I loved the whole process. It was a great experience. You know, I was basically... I went from being someone that didn't really enjoy exercise at all, hadn't, you know, didn't really do it other than when I was forced to at school, <laughs> um, to kind of being submerged into having a personal trainer for two hours a day, five days a week, for eight to nine months I was filmed. And going from kind of thinking that I was not a fit person or I can't do that kind of mentality, to actually seeing that I am capable of doing whatever I want to, whatever I put my mind to. Like, you know, if someone had told me at the beginning that I would have been completing an Olympic distance triathlon, I would have been like, yeah, whatever. But then, you know, as it went on and I could see how strong I was, you know, when we were doing the training and doing things like flipping tractor tires and, you know, I loved all of that stuff and, and doing lifting heavy weights. I was deadlifting a hundred kg and, it was just a breeze for me. And I was a bit like, gosh, like my body can do things I really didn't know it could do. Um, so for me, you know, when I look at it and people say, oh, do you wish you didn't do it then? Because, you know, I've lost the weight and I've put it back on again. And I say no, because it made me, it showed me what I'm capable of. It gave me the opportunity to, to do the Olympic distance triathlon. I, I, I went back a couple of years after and did, did it again. You know, I've, I've run 5Ks, I've run 10Ks, I've done all these things. And yes, right now, I'm not in the fit kind of state that I was. I know that if I want to, I can get back there. And I think that's what's important is that, you know, nothing's kind of out of bounds to me now. You know, I kind of know that I'm capable of it if I want to do it. Um, so for me, that was a really important thing um, to take away from the show. And also, I think it showed that I really enjoy 
talking and public speaking and doing all those things and watching kind of how I came across on the show kind of made me go actually maybe I'm all right at this and that's what kind of then pushed me to do more of the ambassador stuff that I've been doing for Obese UK and, and kind of the media stuff that I do now and I really enjoy it I get a buzz from it um, and I think it's given me a platform that I never thought I'd be at you know I spent my life kind of hating my body and hating my overweightness and and all those things and now I don't I, I will never say I love the way I am and I don't kind of love the fact that I have a bigger body than other people but what I do love is the fact that I have the passion and the knowledge and that I want to make a difference so that other people that are going through what I've been through yo-yo dieting feeling like a failure hating themselves can understand that it's not just their fault there's lots of reasons why they're in this situation and for me that's why I do what I do because I just don't want people to ever feel the way I felt I want people to know there's help there's support and that it's not their fault that's so powerful Sarah it's incredible and where could people go and get that support if that's um, something that somebody wanted to go and do right now so Obesity UK has a lot of online support groups through Facebook. So you just, if you put Obesity UK in, it would take you to the main group. And then there's lots of different subgroups off there, depending on your situation. Um, so they're absolutely on there. It's peer-to-peer -peer support. So speaking to like-minded people and just sharing kind of your experiences. For me, that's the power that we have within Obesity UK. You know, people talk about, I don't know, not that it's, very relevant at the moment but going on, a, on an airplane for instance and they worry about will I fit into the seat will a seatbelt fit me and all these kind of things that when you talk to your normal weight friends or people that just it, this is nothing something that never enters their head to know that someone else has the same thought process as you so that actually when you're going on holiday you dread that initial first step of getting there and just knowing that it's kind of not just you, I think is really important because it just makes you go, okay, these are just things I have to deal with, but other people are here to support me and I, and I can get through this. And so that's kind of one of the real strength of Everbeast UK and our support groups is that we can help people to just feel okay about themselves. Yeah, because no one should ever feel that they hate their body or they don't like who they are. Um, you know, and, and that's often, not as a result of the individual, but as a result of the stories that are heard in our society and the views of other people. Um, and no one should ever be made to feel like that. No, exactly. And I mean, it, it's so, at the moment, there's, there's, the press is just all over obesity and the coronavirus. And I think one of the stories that came out today was around Boris Johnson. So they're saying now that the reason Boris suffered like he did with the coronavirus is because of his weight. So, you know, we look at Matt Hancock and Chris Whitty, they apparently, you know, had the symptoms and had coronavirus and they just kind of breezed through it. They make you look, you know, make it seem. And then obviously Boris really struggled. And automatically it's, oh, it's because of his weight. And actually this is where it's kind of the stigma just shines through and you can see that people just look at people in larger bodies in such a negative way. Um, and I just just for me that's you know we really need to work on this media play a huge part in this and that's something that I'm really trying to work on as well is kind of how we can change media perception and reporting and so it's in a more positive way yeah and even the language that you talked about you know people living with obesity 
Um, yeah. you know, just, just using that kind of language, I think is really significant and just having a, a deeper and wider understanding about, um, any wellbeing issue, I think it is important for people. It enables them to be more inclusive. Exactly. And I think we, if we look at mental health, I think is a great example of where there was a real stigma against people with mental health issues, you know, historically. Mm -hmm. And over the last few years, that's really kind of changed. And because the royals got involved, you know, the, the kind of stigma has kind of not disappeared, but it's very much changed. And people are a lot more understanding now about people's mental health. And I think, you know, you look at something like that and, and, I, and I look at obesity and I think, you know, my aspiration is that in 10, 20 years time, we will look back at the way we have treated people living with obesity and be horrified. And, you know, and I really hope that that is the truth and, and that we will have seen that there's huge steps forward and we look at things in a very different way. Um, that's kind of if that's the, the only thing I can do in this life, then I will be happy if I can do that. So. Well, I really hope that, that that works out and that definitely happens. And of course, if there's anything that any of us can do to help, then, you know, reach out. Definitely. Thank so you. Sarah, where can we find out more about you if we want to do that? Yeah, so um, so obviously Obese UK is, um, you can go on the website, so there's a website there and, and on there's links to kind of myself. You can also find me on social media, so I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, you, yeah, you'll find me by just sticking my name in. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, pretty much most of the platforms. <laughs> and there's some really incredible videos of you as well, if you just Google your name, um, because you've been in, you know, all sorts of different places talking about these issues. Um, so yeah, if anybody wants to, to to kind of catch up on any of that, just put your name in Google and they'll find you, won't they? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Sarah, are you uh, ready for our finishing round, which is planting the final seeds for growth? Yes, I am. Excellent. So at the Growth Pod, we are interested in active learning. And for us, active learning is a deeper level of learning that's activated in the workplace to change behaviours, which enable growth and development. So with that in mind, what one thing can our listeners do today to activate a piece of knowledge that you've shared with us? I think the one thing I'd like people to take away is that, you know, we've, the expression has been around for years, never judge a book by its cover. And I think when you're looking at somebody in a larger body shape, don't make assumptions. You don't know what what they are who they are what they're thinking and I think let's just be a little bit more um accepting of people and be you know again it, this is another expression that's been used a lot at the moment is just be kind because you know we say it about people's mental health but but yet then we can slate someone from the way they look and I think we need to just be kind to everybody regardless of the way they look or feel or behave um so for yeah don't judge a book by its cover and be kind yeah. And at the Growth Pod, well-being is embedded at the core of our business. Can you share one practice that you engage in that enhances or maintains your own well-being? So, yeah. So the main thing for me is making sure I connect with my friends regularly. So, you know, just touching base and chatting through kind of how I'm feeling, what I'm going through. That's one of the main things that I do um, on a daily basis, you know, touching base with them, with them. But then the other thing is, I would say, is doing my manifesting and just kind of thinking about what my ideal kind of world looks like and just trying to kind of journal and write down um, what that looks like and try to make it a reality. So I try to do that as I wouldn't say I do it every day, but I do try to do it as much as I can. 
it's a good habit to get into. And I've been hearing some really, really interesting ways of people connecting and communicating with their friends. And I'll just share this one with you. So my next door neighbors on a Thursday, they've been watching the Thursday play and they connect with their friends on Zoom beforehand and they have pre-theater drinks together. They all go off and watch the play and then they come back together on Zoom to uh, discuss the play that they've just watched. I thought that was a fabulous idea. Yeah, that is fantastic. And actually one of the things, my parents um, are retired and live in Spain now. And so one of the things that they're doing, because Spain has been locked down a lot more than we have, like for a lot longer. And so one of the things they're doing to keep themselves kind of active, um, you know, in touch with other people is at eight o'clock every night, following on from the clapping on a Thursday that we do over here, they all go out and just clap for the key workers every night at eight o'clock and then just have a quick five minute chat over the walls to the different neighbours. And, and that's kind of how they're keeping sane. And I think it is, it's just finding out what works for you and making sure that you kind of do it because if it makes you feel better, then it's a great thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this time, as you said, gives us uh, permission to do things that we wouldn't normally do, but also helping us to be much more creative than we might have been in the past. Exactly. As well. Yeah. Finally, do you have a poem, a book or an inspiring quote that you can share with us? Yes, I do. It's something that I've kind of used for quite some time, but I think it's really current um, at the moment for during lockdown. Um, and I like the expression control the controllables. And it was um, a motivational speaker that, uh, at work, actually, um, a few years ago that came and did a talk. And, and it was all about controlling the controllables. And I think it was more from a sport aspect. You know, that's kind of how they were talking about it. But it's kind of really resonated with me because I am someone that kind of tries to look for the positives and, and, and doesn't flap. And when things have, are coming, when change happens, I very much kind of go, okay, this is happening and try and work through it in a positive way. And I see lots of people flapping and being negative and, and really struggling with things. And I just think if you look at it from control, the control was, what can you control in this situation? Deal with that. And then don't worry about the stuff you can't control because ultimately by worrying about those things, you're not going to change anything apart from making yourself more anxious and more, more worried. Um, so I just think, yeah, it just kind of, I think it just makes you kind of be a bit calmer and go, okay, these are the things I control. I can, I then work on those and then the rest of it will just happen regardless. So that's my kind of takeaway is control the controllables. I like that control the controllables because we're very good as hu uh, uh, humans. We're very good at, um ruminating on the past and catastrophizing in the future but the only place we've got any control over is the present point so i really like that control the controllables so sarah it's been an absolute pleasure to have you here in the growth podcast uh, talking about well-being and your personal journey thank you so much for joining us today thank you so much for having me i've really enjoyed it so thank you you're welcome This Curious Conversation was brought to you by GrowthPod, creating positive pathways to change. For more information about how GrowthPod can support your people, leaders or organisation through training or coaching, visit our website www.growth-pod.co.uk.